Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, hey everybody. Thanks for joining us once again for another episode of Securing Bridges. I'm Alyssa Miller, and this is where we get together with senior security leaders, or really anyone from across the cybersecurity space, to talk about how do we connect security and the business? How do we build that bridge that makes security a valuable function that keeps moving our businesses forward? We've had some exciting guests, and this week is no different. I am thrilled. She is one of my most favorite humans in cybersecurity, and I'm so honored to have her with us today. Everybody, it's Jules. Hey, Jules, how are you? Hi, everybody. Hi, how are you, Alyssa? I am doing wonderful. I'm so excited to have you. So for those of you that don't know, Jules and I actually met in real life for the first time, we were just talking about it before the show, is RSA 2020, right before the world ended, and we all (laughs) went virtual, right? So um, it's cool for us to be getting back together. Um, But Jules, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell uh, our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. Sure, so I am Jules Okafor. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Revolution Cyber. I am an attorney who got into cybersecurity about seven years ago. The company Revolution Cyber started because I saw that there was a gap between uh, the way the business spoke and the way security professionals actually spoke. And my company helps to bridge the gap, but it also builds out security culture up and through the organization, helping to facilitate all of the um, requisite behaviors, actions, and policies that will allow the organization to do the right thing with regard to supporting cybersecurity um, cybersecurity change and change transformation. So, as y'all just heard that, <laughs> if you have any question why Jules is on this show today, I, I, I don't know how to explain it any more than that. This is exactly what we're talking about here on Securing Bridges. And so, Jules, I would love to hear a little bit more about the story behind that. Like, what was there like a moment or something? Because I, I think we've all seen maybe you know, some of that, we're all speaking different languages, right? Yes. But was there like something that stands out to you more so? Like a certain event, it was just like, oh my God, I got to do something about this? Yeah, you know, um, when I first got into cybersecurity, I had no knowledge. And so I sat with engineers in the, in the SOC. And what I would do is watch them try their best to communicate why an alert mattered and action needed to be taken. And a lot of it wasn't in English. In fact, I didn't understand what they were saying. I had no idea what they were trying to uh, uh, communicate or even what they wanted the result to be. So I, I understood that any normal person, anybody in the business could not possibly have a sense of what it is that this engineer was talking about. But they needed the person to take the action or they couldn't be secure. So what I decided was that a combination of my marketing background years in sales and being an attorney made us all was the right person to really start to have that conversation first with engineers about you know what is it that they're trying to say and then being a translator for the business who really wants to understand productivity impact value time to value 
And so my company really is focused on um, the opportunity for the industry as a whole, really to look at how we're communicating security to ourselves and then to those who aren't part of it. That is awesome. And what I really love about what you just described is you just connected why this show, sorry, <laughs> a little self-promotion here, but why this show fits both for security leaders as well as people in those more tactical, technical roles, like yes. you just described. I mean, literally understanding at that SOC level, as a, just a SOC, or just to listen to me, as a talented SOC analyst, you have all these great technical skills, but being able to communicate that is so important. Yes. And of course, that goes all the way up to the board level if you're a CISO and you're trying to talk to the board. Yes. So I, I assume that. When, as you look at this problem, is that something, are you trying to address it across that space or what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, we started with really large enterprises who typically have an understanding of what needs to be done in this space. We didn't have to explain it. So they were our first customers. Where we sit now is the mid-sized companies. They neither have the resources, the money, or the time to really invest in this. So our company is kind of a complementary team that is focused only on the delivery of content communications out to the organization. Um, but, but more than the one time check the box training, it's every day, what needs to be said, who needs to know it, how do we communicate them to them? For instance, we've got a lot of news this week about Okta and about HubSpot. Well, what does the security team say to the marketing team? And, what, and, and everybody uses Okta, so what does that mean for all the people in the organization? How do you get people to know the information without scaring them? There is a very fine line in security. And I feel like part of the problem with security is that we're good at talking to ourselves. We're not as great communicating and teaching to those who may not have an interest. So let's take that Okta example for a minute because it's timely, right? Sure. Um, and um, you know, it's a situation a lot of people are watching. It's, it's been complicated to say the least, to understand what exactly is going on there. There's been a couple different forms of response that we've seen. I know even within my organization, yep. there's been different communication yesterday versus today about yes. how we are impacted or not impacted or somewhere in the middle, right? Yes. So when you think about that, you were talking about from you know that bringing the fear conversation, there's a lot of talk in the industry about how do we get rid of FUD, the fear, yes. uncertainty, and doubt. When you take a situation like that with Okta, what are some of the things that you would focus on to like be able to bring that message without bringing that sense of fear? Where, where do you see that falling? So what I'll tell you is that um, the best response is in the prevention. And I'll say this because a lot of the rollouts of Okta tend to be very painful to start with. So if you go back after the fact and you tell them that there's a problem with the thing that caused them the pain, they typically don't wanna to listen to you. So with users, Okta initiatives, if, if it's something SSL related, where you're doing things that are across the organization, communicating why this needs to be done or answering the so what, when you're implementing it, makes it so that when you're doing crisis response like we are now, people remember what you said about why it was important and you don't have to keep repeating that. So in the response, it's about reassuring people, okay, we understand that there's a problem, we, have, we are continuing to monitor for any changes that may happen. And here's what your obligation is in this, in, in this um, initiative, in this thing we're trying to get done. And then I think the final thing is, here's what you can expect from us. Because a lot of trust is about 
what you do and what I do, and it's got to be mutual. We both have obligations. The point with Okta is it's a great time for organizations to talk to talk to their peers. So CISO should be talking to the peers and saying, we put this in place. It does pose a risk. We're monitoring it, and we're going to take action as soon as we know more. So you touched on something I think is really key there too, and that's this idea of how do we talk about you know, we, we went through this implementation, we put something new in, and yeah, I mean, IAM in general, anytime you're going to mess with identity and access management stuff, that's going to be a painful migration. There's no two ways about it. I don't care whose solution you're throwing out there, right? I mean, yeah. come on, this is so inherent to what we do. But, okay, so we spent all this money and all of this time and all this effort to buy this thing, yep. and now we've got this problem related to it. How do we... How do we shape that message so that we can like not lose credibility, right? Because it's like, well, yeah, I told you to spend all this money on this thing, and now now it's a problem. Yeah. How, how do you not lose credibility in that message? Um, it's speed to respond. So you know, one of the the the, the common patterns I'm hearing in the concern about the after response is the timing and how long it's taken, right? So even as CISOs and security leaders. The time, once you know it's a problem, you don't want the news to get ahead of you. As soon as you figured it out, you want to go to small groups. What you don't want to do is blanket everybody at the same time. It really is a strategic one-by-one, peer-by-peer, stakeholder-by-stakeholder conversation. And typically, here's where I start. Executive level, so, you know, CEO, CEO level, legal, HR, finance. Those are the those are the groups that are the most impacted by if there were potentially some some breach. So you want them to know first and then you want to give them an option or a template for which they can communicate themselves down or you then indicate we're going to communicate. Here's what we intend to say and give the leaders an opportunity to weigh in on what should or should not be said because there potentially is a liability or a legal risk. And what you don't want to do is miss that point. Sure. That's why we always say legals are the first people we call in an incident, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Establish the, you know, that right away. Let's get privilege in place and make sure we're we're, we're doing the right things. Um, so, but there's kind of I, I feel like there's a little bit of a balance there. And let me know what you think about this, right? Because sure. you don't want to over communicate, but at the same time, especially with something like Okta, where it's blowing up all over social media, yeah. there's news reports and various outlets that are talking about this you know, news of a breach and they don't even know for sure because, you know, again, mixed messages coming out of uh, a lot of different areas on this, you're going to start to get questions from users who are going to be concerned as well. So so where do you find or how do you set that balance then between we got to be careful how wide we communicate versus we want to get ahead of that messaging internally to say our users and people who are concerned before the rumor mill starts spinning. Uh, that's why I believe strongly in small groups, because I believe that um, you have to manage the financial and legal risk really first. And then, so there should be a war room or some place in which you are all talking, uh, the senior leaders are talking about what to do. And then what you want to do is give um, the people under the, who report in the opportunity to reach out and say, hey, there's this going on. Feel free to reach out to me with questions. Uh, it, you know, the research is still ongoing. There'll be more information shared later. What you don't want to do, and you know, as an attorney, is blanket 
immediately. And, 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 but you also don't want to say nothing if it's a critical system. If it's a critical system that could impact the business, saying nothing actually also increases your liability because then you're seen as both negligent or reckless. So you have to be very careful with what you do in that situation. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. So yes, I'm thinking more in terms of that proactive approach, right? So you, you'd mentioned that before with like the, the technology and where you yes. have that challenge. I almost feel like this is a good conversation too, where just having that security aware culture starts to come into play. And how about that for a segue? Because um, <laughs> I know security culture is something you're really interested in too. Yes. And I, I think this is a perfect application of why that's important. Would you agree? I would, I would agree. You know, the fallacy or the, what I'm always disappointed to find, the most cyber aware cultures usually recently had a breach. They have a breach in their past. Um, but, but there is an opportunity to get ahead of a, a major breach. Typically there's a lack of willingness to invest because nothing's happened so far, right? Right. Now everybody and people are still mitigating the the risk of a, a supply chain, right? So it could be anything in your environment could cause a breach. But what I want to what I want to harp on quite a bit is the reactivity costs more. It costs more friction. It costs more trust. It costs more money. S setting it up so that you can actually um, create just a generic um, awareness. Let's start with awareness, right? The, the goal is to get to adoption. The goal is to get to change behavior. So a cyber aware culture actually isn't enough. We've got to have a cyber embedded, a cyber enabled culture where people are taking it upon themselves to do the right thing when no one's looking. Therefore, when the breach happens, you should be excited to see people who were watching Twitter or were online and heard this story and sent it over to the security team. You don't want a situation where no one knows about security. They have no idea what you're talking about. And now you're scaring them, right? So there's an opportunity to build trust by building security awareness and using it as a platform in order to help people make better decisions at work and at home. I think that you would be providing tremendous value. And I think that's a very big missed opportunity. I love this. I've, I've literally just ingrained this term in my brain because it seems so simple, but I don't know why I've not heard it before. Security enabled yes. culture. Like I've yes. heard security first culture, I've heard yep. you know, security aware culture. No, security enabled and empowered. Yes. That's what we need. That's exactly. So that people feel that, that, that sense of ownership and that ability to go do something about it right away. I absolutely adore that. Yes. So that's something then when you're, you're speaking in terms of training yes. and you know, you're, you're, you're maybe in a sales discussion or whatever mm -hmm. with, you know, some senior leaders, how are you selling the value of that to them? I know you kind of mentioned already, like the reactive approach is more expensive. Is that the only message there? Or is, are there, is there more that you're able to bring as far as just really, here's the value of having this, this security enabled culture? I find that the reason why someone should buy something and the reason that they actually take the steps are two different things. So the reason why people should buy it is because you want your employees to feel like they're part of the security conversation. Those are all great and feel very pie in the sky. They tend, that tends not to be something measurable in the beginning. So our programs are measurable, but it tends not to be something you can take to the board and say, we just want our employees to feel good about security. Why people are buying this idea of security culture 
that they're very interested personally as security leaders in improving their relationships with their stakeholders. They've either gotten negative feedback about security's rollouts. They've also had this really big incident happen and it went crazy and no one knew what to do. Or third, personally, they feel like this is a platform for them to have better conversations in. I'm not finding that people are buying for the employees. I find that our buyers are buying for themselves and for relationships that they want to strengthen. And this is an important conversation, understanding to have when you go into these high level conversations is who are you talking to and what are their motivations? I mean, especially at the executive and board level, my God, some of those people, I can't I mean, I've had board members ask me, what's a CISO? Okay, clearly security is not the first thing on their mind if that question is coming out of their mouths. So that becomes, oh no, we lost, we lost hearing with us. So um, hopefully you can get that sorted out. Uh, when you give me a nod, I will, uh, we'll assume you're back. But um, so I'm gonna, I'll riff here for a minute. Yeah, I, so this is one of those things when you go into a board meeting, it, it, you have to have that uh, ultimately you know, that understanding, you got to know who you're talking to and understand that the reason you see why they should buy something isn't necessarily the reason that you're going to get them to buy something. And you have to speak to their motivations. So in, in that case, it's, you know, it, that's something you need to plan for early in that conversation and how you're going to present it. Because if I go in there and I go to a board meeting and I'm saying, hey, you know, we want to do this because it, it's going to make our employees happier. It's going to make, you know, it's going to reduce this risk item down to a level or, you know, that doesn't necessarily speak to the board. You need to be able to bring a message that resonates with those board members who might be CEOs or CFOs for another organization that don't really get the, the security discussion at all. I, I actually can't hear you. Oh no, and that's I. So I was kind of just riffing. I'm not quite sure what we can do here, um, but uh, yeah. So this is this is unfortunate that uh, we can't get Jules. Um, we'll see if we can get her back here quick because unfortunately this is a really good discussion and I don't want to lose it. So. Um, yeah. Still nothing. Doesn't look like we've got Jules back. Oh no. So maybe, maybe we can get her to log off and come back. Hopefully, hopefully we get Jules back in a minute. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad first of all, that this conversation took this turn. Um, it was not, not where I thought we would go first, the, but obviously, you know, the Okta situation right now is something that uh, we're all incredibly aware of. And it does illustrate some of the, the key challenges. So when you, you've got this situation, and again, the, the mixed messages, there's been a lot of criticism of Okta this week. I'm not going to lie about that, but I don't want to harp on it either because they're certainly not the first to make some mistakes in how they communicate and they won't be the last. But it does bring about an interesting conversation for us as security leaders that, you know what, hey, we're just going to have to, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to understand better how we can communicate and limit the impact of that, that uncertainty in the marketplace, uh, you know, from impacting us within the division or within the business. 
So, um, you know, some of the places I'm really hoping to to, to dig in some more uh, when Jules gets back is really, hopefully she can hear us now because she has come back. Yay! So, Jules, I was literally just riffing on, you know, the whole situation of how do we, how do we, you know, the what you were saying ultimately that, you know, when you go to the board, you go to the executives, it's communicating with them is just really so much of that all important understanding their motivations and that a lot of them may not be security people at all. They're probably a CEO at another company, or they might even just be a professional board member at this point in their career. And so there's, there's that criticality of really understanding your audience before you go into a conversation like that. And it's not just, you know, knowing who that is, it's actually doing some research and digging in. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, you know, coming from, obviously a lot of those times you're going to be in situations where you, you, you basically, as, as a salesperson, you're having those conversations, you got to do the same thing. So what are some of the things that you're doing to research who you're going to be talking to before you walk in the door? So um, Revolution Cybers created something we call the mindshare model. It's this idea that um, in order for a person to consider security be part of a lifestyle, which is what we want. We want we, we believe security is a lifestyle. And we have to actually um, more frequently be seen as something that's top of mind. So we're actually competing with all the other things that people have to do. So for instance, everyone's distracted. We know everyone is you know, working from all over the globe. So we've got to take that into consideration. What we like to talk about is what we call a human blueprint. It is a blueprint or profile of all the different reasons why someone would change behavior, what their role is, you know, um, what access to systems they have, and then more importantly, what is the thing that's gonna motivate them to do the right thing? It is different for all groups. We know that IT, sales, marketing, and um, let's just say the HR groups completely see the world differently and so what you want to do is create sort of, you know, in marketing, their audience profiles. Here, their employee profiles. And it's ultimately thinking through, what am I going to say? Who's in the room? What is their job? What are they concerned about? What are their interests? And then how do I speak to those and bring those into everything I'm saying? And I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. So for instance, talking to the CMO. The CMO typically is looking to drive revenue through series of activities, campaigns, and things that they're doing. If we're gonna talk about security, the biggest security risk for the marketing department tends to be in SaaS, shadow IT that they're purchasing, typically without approval. Secondly, social media. So they, they are the most you know uh, visible piece of uh, people in the organization. And then they also tend to be um, really fixed up, um, really focused on uh, quick movement. So they tend to have weak passwords share lots of information between each other. So if you're going into a room where the chief market, marketing officer is there, the idea is what, what, what do you have coming down the road that potentially security might be able to help you with? So we talk about enablement. All right, so you're rolling out this new product. We've got these, these, um, this process in place where you can work with members of our team who can guide you on where we should look at vulnerabilities. For your customer base, we can also provide you elements of trust building in the platform that we're rolling out that will help you in your marketing efforts. It will help you to establish yourself as a, as a trusted company, as, as established us as a trusted brand. 
Security has the ability to bring trust to the table and marketing spends thousands, millions of dollars in order to build trust with customers. There is a natural alignment. You got to figure out how to do that with each different group in the organization. I love that. The, the best part about that, in my opinion, is when you can do that, suddenly they become your sponsors. Yes. Like instead of fighting against you because you're trying to take money or whatever else, you're saying like, hey, I can... And here's this key word that we've used already, and I hear a lot of CEO or CISOs use it and maybe not understand it. I can enable <laughs> you yes. by doing this security thing. We can open up this new path of innovation. We can open up this new marketing channel. We can you know, do these various things if we connect that security thing. And I mean, I've, personally, I've got experience doing this and it works. And this is what I love about the message you're bringing is yeah, just align that. If you can show that connection, they want to do what they want to do. Yes. The business wants to innovate and grow. Yes. So connect the two and, and win a sponsor to, to help push your things along. Completely. There is no organization or team inside an organization that is an island. And therefore, if you're operating as an island, you'll have limited success. But if you can bring on people, and typically the chief marketing officer, chief sales officer, they have leverage and political capital that a security leader will never have. So you want them to be your sponsor and saying, this is a good guy now, this is a good gal, this is a good person, this is a good, you know, whoever. What you wanna do after that is say, you can help me, how do I help you? But you wanna start with asking what the problem is as opposed to telling them what the problem is. Yeah, and that, this is, that key piece of empathy that I just, I really would love to see security grow with because it, it's that empathy and that, that ability to understand the bigger picture. I mean, I, I mentioned before, like, you know, some CISOs, they'll say, Oh, I enable a business. When you ask them how they say, well, I reduce risk. Yeah. Well, if you actually think about that, it's probably one of the least powerful messages you can bring because one, <laughs> it's not tangible. It's infamously difficult to measure you know, in quantitative terms, the risk that security brings because it's uh, a hypothetical. Yes. But second, you know, you think about risk. Okay, great. Let's talk risk for a minute. If I'm a CEO and I'm thinking about risk, risk has lots of implications. There's business risk, financial yes. risk, market risk, all of these forms of risk. Cybersecurity is just one of those. Yes. So we're maybe 10 to 20% of the picture. So if your value prop is only that 10 to 20%, that's not a very effective message to say, this is my primary reason for existing. Completely. And, and what, I'll, what I will say definitively for a security leader is, you are only as helpful as what you provide to the rest of the organization. So if you're reducing risk and it's only cyber, but your, but your risk reduction costs the company more money, you're not going to be seen as a value. What you've yeah. got to do is say, and, and actually cybersecurity is also one of the risks that impacts all the other ones. So you're only diminishing yourself if you just talk about your space in cyber risk. You've got to talk about and be able to be well-versed in financial risk, right? In, 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 um, in legal risk, you got to be talking about the other risks and how cyber plays into those as opposed to this is its own risk and we need to invest here. That's not a great way to approach it. 
Yeah. And this, this is great because we're touching on a conversation we had two weeks ago. I had Keon Williams on here Ooh. and we had a, a similar conversation. I brought up the fact then that, you know, when I've had some people ask me if I was going to give advice on how to get into security leadership, what's the one thing I would tell someone to do? And my, my answer was learn MBA concepts. Yes. Don't have to go get one, but understand things like you just mentioned the 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 fine what what does financial risk mean what are the operators that exist in financial risk how are we look how is that looked at by a cfo and by the ceo and really understand even you know market placement and risks around market placement when you're talking to that cmo those are things they're thinking about all the time and when you make those connections suddenly now the business understands what we're trying to do and i think and correct me if you disagree, but I think that that kind of, you don't even have to be looking to get into a security leadership role. Just understanding that if I go back to your SOC example, you have a very technical position with very skilled people working on day-to-day -day tactical, keeping the lights on, keeping us protected. There's still room for that conversation and that awareness when you're trying to communicate out to their teams that you know, are in other spaces. Yes. I, I completely agree with you. And just in my experience, the engineers who could read and write for a non-technical audience were worth their weight in gold. To, to be honest, it, there is no value in bits and bytes in of itself. There is no value in security in of itself. It's gotta be feeding into something that the business actually cares about, or really it's a waste of time, just like everything else. Marketing is held to this standard. Um, sales is held to the standard and now security is being held to the standard. And so we need business leaders who understand security, who understand the technical aspects, not, not necessarily like we've been hiring for technical leaders who have some business skills. In fact, you've got to be able to talk business. You've got to be able to walk in it. And then the security elements are where you provide your value. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think, so I want to, I'm going to touch on something here too, because there's, there's this little spidey sense in the back of my head that there are people out there right now who are thinking, Oh, what? We don't, we don't need people with security experience in these, in these CISO roles. Not true. Yeah. That's Here's the thing. Yeah, and I think you'll agree with me because you kind of said this before it's that translation. So you have to be well-versed in best practices, but you also have to have that understanding that that raised understanding of what what is the business caring about and how are they communicating. So this is not to say that you don't need skilled cybersecurity professionals in high level leadership roles, right? Never. I would never say that. Um, just in working side by side with um, security teams and and you know the pen testers, I've hired pen testers, I've hired security engineers, hired analysts. To be honest, the skill sets that they that that pen testers use, there's a mindset that is critical that we want at the table with the other leaders. We want people who have been in doing the work, who have been responding to the incidents, who have been testing systems, to be able to then sit at the table and say, "Here's what you don't understand," and let me explain that to you. But they can only do that if they've got both. They've got the technical. They've got the translation and they understand the business needs from the other stakeholders. So coming from somebody who was in that space, let me <laughs> tell you, it, it, like, yes. And I'll tell you what, those executives, those board levels, they actually love the idea. And this was something I had to come to terms with. 
because I didn't think that this was something I could talk about. They love the idea of having a hacker or an ex-hacker or whatever in their boardroom with them. Yes. If, and only if, as Jules said, you can make that transition and be able to communicate to them and talk about all those cool things you did, not in a terms of what do you do, but why? Why does yes. it matter? How are you going to defend against that? That's the key in those conversations. I assume you've probably run into similar. Very much so. They and and I find that that they do love having hackers in the room until you ask for dollars and can't explain why. Right? Exactly. Until like it's so cool and this is great. That'll cost you ten million dollars, and then everyone's quiet and is like, okay, we we're not sure. The only thing I will say over and over again is. It is not true that those who are um, neurodiverse, those who have experience or highly technical, who have not had a lot of experience speaking and collaborating can't learn it. This is all stuff that can be learned. It won't be easy, but a lot of it is really listening. And so that idea of empathy is, let me hear what people are talking about. Let me have conversations with marketing. Let me ask questions of HR. You can learn it just by listening. And then all you're doing is figuring out a way, what's the best way to communicate that? Your skill sets as a hacker take nothing away from your ability to be um, um, wonderful in business and, and a business leader. I'm actually glad you brought the the discussion about neurodiversity too, because yes. a number of people in my life have that that same situation and where their communication style is very different. Their ability to empathize comes very differently yes. than those of us who have you know more of a, a neurotypical. Uh, set of skills or perceptions. And so, yeah, anybody who would tell you that they're not, that people who are neurodiverse, who are somewhere in that spectrum, have no ability to do that or, you know, are going to struggle mightily. Yes, it's something that has to be, you know, accounted for. But I know many, many people in that who are super successful. Oh my gosh. And, and actually, in a lot of cases, that 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 diversity of thought that they have, how they perceive the world, is actually a huge asset. Yes. And so it's really frustrating when I hear people say things like what you were just alluding to that you've heard clearly them say too that like oh that you know the someone who who deals with neurodiversity cannot do that. Well, that's not totally that's true. At least from what I've seen from loved ones in in my life. Yes, and and I've 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 worked with and hired um, autistic um, individuals who worked on uh, certain projects and worked with me on certain programs that I put together years ago, and these are some of the smartest, kindest, gentlest, and and literally they just see the world in a different way. I think that there needs to be room made for this mindset because it contributes vastly to simplification because. For this mindset, it needs to be simple and plain, right? The other thing is I'm ADHD. I've been so since I was a kid. It takes me forever to do some of the things that I do. What I've done is acknowledge that it's something that takes me time. And I put, uh, I put in so many um, built-in sort of uh, structures, right? So I stick very much to my calendar. My calendar is everything. I also have help. I have to hire help assistants, I have to have organizers, I have to have people who create structure for me so that I can be as fantastic and wonderful as I am. But it's not an easy thing to do. And all I say to myself is, am I having the impact? Is what I'm doing working? 
And if it's working, then I'll start to see the, the benefits of that. And when it's not working, what can I do to change that? I think this idea is the world is for everyone. We've got to figure out a way to make a place for, for people. And then for ourselves, we've got to make the world work for us. And that's just what it is. You know, I, I swear to God, we could do like a whole show on this topic. <laughs> like seriously, just, you know, we, we can sit here and, and say that, uh, you know, when people perceive the world differently or learn differently or communicate differently, that they need to adjust to the rest of the world. But honestly, it's the opposite. Yes. And I, I can tell you already, I'm hearing it in my mind somewhere where we're going to have to explore this in a different show because I would love to equip more people with the knowledge of how they can create that space, how they can structure things differently so that it is more open for folks of all, all walks of life and with all forms of, uh, you know, whether it's neurodiverse or whatever. I, I mean, we could, again, I mean, we probably write a dissertation on this, <laughs> but, um, but unfortunately we're actually coming down to kind of the end of our time, which oh, no. really sucks. Cause I feel like- we I know, go. this is so good. This, this always happens. I get to the end. I'm like, man, we could just keep talking. This has been a you actually said that at RSA as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why, why are there going to be time limits on things? Well, you know, because we all have jobs. We got to get back to work, I'm sure. But um, before we go, sure. the, the one thing I, I, last thing I really want to ask you, and taking into account what you've done in terms of you know, building security culture, how you're, you're really shaping the attitudes toward what training can be and how it can be different than the, you know, half hour CBTs that don't let you fast forward through the movies kinds of things. Right. If there was one thing, one message that you could get drilled into the brain of every senior security leader out there about building that security culture and maybe shaping it with, with training, what would be that one message you want them to hear? Wow. Um, the goal is adoption, not awareness. So one can tell if the culture is enabling, if people have adopted it, you're having a two-way conversation and they own and are accountable for security themselves. So I want to say that security awareness is a journey, but it's only the first stop. Your final stop is when the people that you're on the journey on turn towards you and say, we get it, we've got it from here. That is awesome. Yes, I really, really hope that people are hearing that. And so there's a comment up here from Frank about uh, why, why a different show. No, I, I don't mean a different podcast. <laughs> I just mean a different episode of this one. <laughs> Um, because absolutely, it's something that definitely deserves the full 35, 40 minute show to talk about. In fact, I mean, honestly, again, it's something that probably deserves a two hour talk and workshop on. Um, it's such a huge topic. So yeah, I definitely do not mean to separate it from securing bridges because securing bridges, I agree with you, Frank, that's exactly where that conversation belongs. Completely. So, Jules. Thank you so much. It was Thank so you. amazing having you on here. Uh, I, I, I couldn't imagine a, a better conversation and the timing was perfect with <laughs> yeah. the Octa situation. I'm glad we were able to dive into that too. Um, anything, last thoughts you want to throw out to the audience about you, either your business or anything else? 
Um, no, I mean, Revolution Cyber, you know, definitely look us up. Um, we're really trying to give the strategy, the design, and manage programs that help to build culture 12 months a year. The other thing I want to say is, Alyssa, you've got a fabulous show. I know it'll do wonderful. And they could not have chosen a better host. So that's all I want to say. Uh, I'm blushing. I can see my cheeks turning red on the camera here. Oh, but thank you. No, and I, I hope all of you are enjoying the show too. That That's three episodes now that we've done. I've been enjoying every one of these conversations. I hope you are too. And I hope you keep coming back every week. We're here every Wednesday. We'll be breaking things down. Next week, we've got yet another super exciting guest. We've got Wolfgang Gorlick coming on. Um, if you know him from the prize team at conferences, you might know that he's a, a VCSO for Duo at Cisco. Um, he's going to be here with us next week. Um, so actually, probably a good thing he wasn't here this week to talk about Okta. Hopefully, we'll be done talking about it. I don't want to go into that with one of their competitors. But no, really good stuff. We'll be back here every week. Remember... Go to ITSPmagazine.com. You get all the links. You can listen to the back shows. Uh, you can either watch them recorded or they are in podcast form. This episode will be available in just a couple days. Uh, so be sure to keep coming back. Check us out. We'll, we'll be back here next week. I can't wait. Until then, take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.